See, I know Elon well enough at this point, not because we're friends, but because I've been dealing with, with him and Tesla for so long that they don't understand that this is the most competitive person I have ever known. He will die before Tesla will fail. Hey everybody, I'm Zach. And I'm Jesse. And today we're talking to Ross Gerber. You're gonna wanna see this coming up next on In Depth. Thank you to Keeps for sponsoring today's show. Keeps is a subscription service that makes it easier and more affordable for men to treat their male pattern baldness online. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. I am living proof of this, and the best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have your hair left. With Keeps, you'll get a free online consultation with a licensed doctor who will recommend the right hair loss treatment plan for you. Keeps offers clinically proven generic versions of the FDA-approved medications for hair loss, which makes it more affordable. If you're looking for real results, you owe it to yourself to check out the testimonials on the Keeps website. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and why hundreds of thousands of men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash now you know, or click the link in the description to receive 50% off your first order. Don't put it off. Go to keeps.com slash now you know. All right, we're so lucky to have Ross Gerber with us today. He's the president and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. And before we get started, a lot of times Jesse and I say on the show, we are not financial advisors. We're just two dudes on the internet. You are a financial advisor. Yeah. Uh, what does that What does that mean, being a financial advisor? Mostly it means that I'm in I'm licensed, so I had to pass securities exams, bonded, insured, and I'm regulated, which is really the big thing. So we're regulated by the SEC, and and so I am required, actually, I got to do more of it after I'm done with the show, to do lots of documentation, filings, every stock we own, every account, every dollar is accounted for. I've been in the business uh, now on my 28th year, I think it is. And I've never had money disappear or a, a problem, but you got to count every one of our $2.2 billion and make sure it's in the right place every day and transactions and what people are saying. And it, it's just an endless thing. So when you're a financial advisor, what that means is you follow and we're a fiduciary financial advisor. So that means that I have to do what's in my client's best interest by law. A lot of people don't realize that they're working at brokers like Robinhood or Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs, for example, has no requirement to do what's best for their clients. In fact, it's the opposite, it's a conflict of interest. The broker's trying to make money for themselves and ideally they do what's right for you, but they have no obligation, okay? So as a fiduciary, that creates a legal standard that we have to follow, which is quite, you know, thorough. And, uh, and we follow it, we take it very seriously. So with that in mind, you know, whatever we're gonna talk about today, you know, has risk and investing has risk. And, and so as a financial advisor, one of the most important things we do is help people understand their risk tolerance and what investments are best for them. So I guess it's better that we're just two dudes on the internet. We don't Sounds do any of that so paperwork. Much easier. Well, wow. no, oh it, you can still go to jail for the same issues right. if you're offering securities without a license, for example. You know, SEC busts non-licensed people too, all the time, insider right. trading. It, it could be a lot of different things, especially if you're on YouTube, you know, touting cryptocurrencies that explode or things like that. If you lose people's money, and it, whatever you do, somebody's going to come after you. Now, the reason we're talking to you, um, we've been following you for a long time. You're a big Tesla guy. You're in the yeah. Tesla community. People love you. Um, what is your background? I mean, when did you first get into Tesla? <laughs> well, I started driving when I was 16, and I immediately was pulled over on my first day on the road. 
So I knew I would have a future in vehicles right off the bat because I fought that ticket in court at 16 and beat the police. And I went on to a lucrative career of getting tickets and beating police in court, winning 15 tickets in a row. And I knew that I was destined to be a driver. To either be a lawyer to be or a to be- <laughs> I got pulled over the other day in my plaid, for example, going very fast, zero to 60, but I did not go over 60. And I had, and my kid was in the car because he, they very much enjoy this. I said, kid, watch me talk my way out of this ticket, which I did with an Orange County Sheriff. It was amazing. I said, I never broke the speed limit, sir. I just got there very quickly. And I don't think that that's illegal. And he's like, I thought you were racing that Ford. I go, I would never race a Ford in this thing. What is wrong with you? (laughs) So I've always loved cars and I, I don't love the car business from the traditional dealer standpoint. But when the Tesla Model S came out. So Tesla went public and it was about a year or two after that, the Model S came out. And that's when we started really looking at Tesla. And so I hate oil companies. And I grew up in the 70s as a little kid. My first memories are the Iran oil embargo on my mom. Had, like I was this little kid and you know my mom would try to get gas and they, you could only get gas every other day. And, and, my, and I, I, my memory was because my mom had to lie to get gas that day, we were out of gas, but it wasn't our day. It was like even or odd. I don't know if you remember that, but yep. your partner doesn't remember it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking no. about? No, what are you talking gas about? Gas doesn't car. You're in line at a gas station. And at the time, gas prices were the inflation equivalent of probably three times the price of today. So that's kind of the irony of everybody complaining about gas prices. In the 70s, they wiped us out and the economy went into hell. The stock market was hell. And I, and and I grew up hating the oil producing nations, not only for what they did to the nation, but also for the wars that they caused. So when I went and I saw the Model S and I said, this is an electric vehicle. And then I drove this thing and I was like, and it's better than regular vehicles too. <laughs> like that was really the thing. It wasn't that it was just electric. It was that it was actually better than other cars. And I said, we got to invest in this, you know? So we bought stock and in in tesla i think it was 2014 and we were fairly aggressive with it which was the good and the bad of it because if i didn't sell any of my shares <laughs> you're one of those guys huh you sold well some. i'm not going to complain it's made me very wealthy <laughs> you made some yeah right you yeah, made some you know, yeah, yeah. i'm a risk manager you know, like some of my tesla friends who have like oh, i got you know I got a thousand shares of Tesla. That's all my money. You know, I'm friends with this guy, Jason DeBolt, and he made a lot of money on Tesla and he's kind of retired now. And, you know, and, and he just was all in, you know, some of these people were just all in. That's just not the way I live, you know, but when, when we made a lot of money, I, I took profits and I've taken profits in Tesla several times and I don't regret it because we risk manage. But in 2014, the investment paid off pretty quickly because once the Model S started selling, it sold well and the stock jumped from at the time it was like 35 to like 180. And that first stage of Tesla was a lot of fun, but From the beginning, most people don't remember that Teslas have had problems and struggles and challenges this entire journey. Model S, all the roofs were messed up and they would have to re-put on each roof. You know, um, the Model X was a disaster at launch, you know, with the, the doors. Like who would come up with these dumb doors? You know, Elon says it was probably the worst idea he's ever had, right? And then Model 3, I was like, what could go wrong? They've screwed up S, they screwed up X at this point. They got this down and no, they did not. He was going to build this robot factory and it turned out humans were better. So Jerome Gillian saved them and put humans in to build cars. 
this journey has been one, one of the most amazing stock journeys of my life. And I still think it's early on in the journey. So Tesla has become our biggest investment, our most, probably my most profitable, it is my most profitable investment of all time. It's kind of made us famous in the sense of like, as an investment firm, because we did make several hundred million off Tesla for our clients. And so it really did change many of our clients' lives in the positive way. And I had this one client and they had like five accounts with me. And I accidentally bought the Tesla in their kids' UTMA account. It was an accident, I, I, you know, because they had all these accounts with me. And so we balance it, you know, like as a family, but I didn't realize I put the Tesla in the, in the kids' account. Well, now the kid's 18. And this kid has over a million bucks now. <laughs> and the parents are like, what the f did you do to us? <laughs> so the kid calls me up like, Hanks, you know, this is like eight years later. It was like a little kid is now 18 years old. And she's like, wow, I'm well off. Thanks to you guys. Will you help me manage my money? I'm like, yeah. All right. Well, I want to talk about money managers who have had the opposite right. experience as you. Um, the short sellers mm. who... Um, I'm, I'm assuming are being called up by the children of the people and are going, what did you do with the no, money? You, know, you don't put a short seller fund in your kid's account. You know. <laughs> what happened and, and why, yeah, why short is it still, selling? Why is it still the most shorted it's stock? It's still the most, <laughs> most shorted like, stock in the world. Can you just, I mean, I kind of get it. Yeah, it's like, how many podcasts can we do? And they still don't listen, right? I I'm really curious. Like, I just want to, you know, if we could try and put ourselves in their shoes. I okay. literally had this meeting this morning. People in my office hate Elon. They f oh. hate him. Why? I'm trying to get some rest. And then it's like Washington Post starts calling. CNBC starts calling. Oh, Elon sold more stock. Uh, who cares? Right. You know, and people are like, oh, the oh, stock's going to be down today. Oh, I'm going to lose money because of Elon. I go, you forgot we're all rich because of Elon, guys. <laughs> like all of us. Like I, that was well, my speech this morning. Except the people who have just got on board last week. No, but I'm saying right. in my firm, <laughs> yeah, my partners they have all it? gotten wealthy because of Tesla. <laughs> and they hate Elon. They hate but him. why? I'm not a traditional guy. I'm a hippie. This outfit... It's for you. It's for the public. I'm, I'm a money manager, but I don't think inside any box. That's for sure. So people like Elon don't bother me at all. I work in the music industry a lot and I work with crazy people. So Elon to me is just this genius guy. And if you expect normalcy with a genius, you're not, you haven't been around that many geniuses. Now I went to Penn and I was around some very smart people in college. Like a lot of people bash on the Ivy league and all this kind of, but the people I was around, my friends, were brilliant and like many of them have gone on to incredible careers in all kinds of fields but like it was super invigorating as a person just to be around such smart people but they were all crazy so there's crazy smart people and then there's like regular smart people who are like finance people or engineers so finance people and engineers are just as smart as let's say creatives or other type of entrepreneurs, let's say, who are, so it was maybe like right brain, left brain intelligence. So Elon's really engineering intelligence, but he's real bad with like emotional intelligence. And so that's what people hate about him is that he means well, but he oftentimes does a lot of things that people hate. Like say he wants Ron DeSantis to be like, why would he support Ron DeSantis? So somebody as smart as Elon saying something like that, he shouldn't be in politics and he and like, he never was before. He never said anything before until Biden finally pissed him off enough. But it hasn't helped Elon being 
in politics. The short sellers see this as this, he will implode mm-hmm. opportunity. He will funding secured something again, or mm-hmm. he will eventually make that mistake that will blow up Tesla. And so a guy like him has to crash the boat at some point is basically the short seller's bet. And they weren't wrong in 2018. So in 2018, I did many interviews saying, if you look at the financials of Tesla, it's going bankrupt. But that's not what you should be looking at. What you should be looking at is that production's ramping. And Elon left himself about that much room between bankruptcy and success. I remember the day because I went up and I was with Gene Munster and a couple other people. And we were like, Elon, you need to raise money. Elon, you need... This was like uh, Autonomy Day, the first one or something. We're like, Elon, you need to raise money. And I was like, I think at the end of 2018-ish. And then he did a convertible the next day. And that's when I knew for sure he was way smarter than what any, anybody thought because we were all like, dude, you're running this so thin. And he did this convertible and it was the most advantageous convertible bond offering. I bought a ton of it. It's ended up being the bane of my existence, which for a whole other reason, but like we made so much money on this bond. It was like 10, 15 X on this bond. Wow. Cause we doubled down when he raised money. I was like, if they have the capital to do this, they'll be fine. But see, he runs the ship so lean that he gave himself no room for error. And so what those people are hoping is that he just slips and falls on the ice and goes right through it and into the water and freezes and dies. And somebody like Elon on the surface looks like he could do that very easily. But those are people who don't know Elon. See, I know Elon well enough at this point, not because we're friends, but because I've been dealing with with him and Tesla for so long, Mm -hmm. that they don't understand that this is the most competitive person I have ever known. He will die before Tesla will fail. That's how you know if Tesla will fail, is he'll be dead. He'll be the first. He's the general that will die in front of all the troops first before Tesla will fail, for sure. That's why I won't sell my Tesla stock, and it is still my largest holding, because I've never met a CEO like him. Well, a lot of people like you want to buy even more stock. Um, but the big question I think for them constantly is, is this the right time to buy? <laughs> and with you know us being in a recession and Elon saying there's 18 months more maybe of recession, what would you say? Is it, should we be waiting for some other dip? Should we buy it now? Like, what, what are your thoughts? There's no recession. There's no recession. <laughs> it is so busy out. We have three and a half percent unemployment. You can't look at these GDP numbers. They don't mean anything. What matters is spending. How many people want to buy a car right now? Can't even get one. Even if you go to a Ford dealership, they're marking up cars. The dealers are screwing people. Okay, that's not a recession where people, every car is sold. Tesla sells cars that cut inflation. The demand is off the charts for their vehicles. You know, you'll never pick the right time to buy a stock or Tesla. You invest for the long term. And timing markets is, after 29 years, is impossible. Everything I always think is not per se incorrect, but the timing of it is extremely difficult to get right. And when you do, it's lucky. If you really think you're that good, then you're probably not that far away from losing a lot of money. So the way I do it is I just dollar cost average. Like, so if I want to buy Tesla, like I just got a new client the other day, he gave me money, Tesla's our top holding, I got to buy him Tesla. So I don't just like buy the whole amount. Let's say it's a 5% allocation. Okay. I don't buy all 5%. No, I'll buy 1% this week. Then I'll wait another week or two, buy another 1%, you know, and I dollar cost average because the stock is so volatile, but I'm not buying Tesla for the next year. That is the easiest stock to buy because I'm, I don't have to think about selling it. So 
What I try to do is buy stocks that I don't have to worry about selling. I buy Microsoft, I don't have to worry about selling it. Buy MGM, I don't have to sell it. Blackstone, I don't have to sell it. What I got to sell are when companies don't execute. So I look at Roblox, I'm a Roblox owner. Oh, Roblox numbers are bad. I look at the numbers, the numbers are fine. We're not in a pandemic anymore. I make my kids go play baseball now. They're playing plenty of Roblox, trust me. But it's not as much. But we're forcing them to not play Roblox. It's not because they don't want to play. It's like, there are kids without COVID out there. You go play with them. I think my family has some weird COVID thing that we just don't get it. I, everybody's gotten COVID except for us. I'm like, go play with all the COVID kids. You're fine. You're fine. Now, I saw in one of your recent shows that you put a 100x earnings price determination on, right. on Tesla stock. So that would price it probably around $1,200 right now. Right. Have you factored in things like full self-driving or Tesla bot into that 100x? No. In fact, so that doesn't that doesn't actually factor in the business. What that factors in is the growth rate of the company's earnings, okay, which is over 100%. But we'll slow down next year. I think they're predicting like 40% growth year over year from like, and I think that's wrong. I think it'll be higher. So we look at PEG ratio, which is your PE to growth ratio is one of the key metrics I use in valuing a company. First, you have to determine what's real E, what's the real earnings of a company, because there's a lot of bull crap and earnings like they take out stock compensation. I don't, okay? I'm a stock owner. If my employees of my company are getting paid in stock, that's a real cost. So I, I don't buy this take out the stock compensation that every company tries to do. It's real money, okay? So I look at what we consider real earnings, okay? And then we look at the growth of that earnings over the time, but also what we expect it to grow in the future. So a lot of companies maybe aren't growing as fast today, but maybe are doing some things that will really help them grow into the future, okay? And then we look at, you know, the market's PE. Is it high or low relatively to the market? And then we want to assign a peg ratio to that. So if it's under one, that's really good. That's like a stock we want to buy. If it's like two, which is a lot of stocks in the stock market where the growth, like Apple PE is twice its actual growth rate because it's Apple. Now it used to not be that way, you know, years ago when it was the Tim Cook discount back in the day. <laughs> it was like an eight, 17 times earnings. They could buy back stock all day. It was profitable for them. So for Tesla, like it would make sense for them to buy back stock if the stock was at 600 bucks, right? But at, you know, a thousand bucks, it doesn't. And so we could argue what the peg should be with Tesla because their growth rate has been over 100% over the last several years of earnings, but it's a big company now. So even if you do a 50, you know, PE towards like next year's earnings at 16 bucks, you're still looking at 800 bucks. And I would think that's a very conservative number. So I'd say anywhere between $800 and $1,200, that's where the stock should be. So, but let's talk about Tesla bot. So basically it sounds like you're not factoring that in yet because you know, it's not a thing yet. Doesn't I mean, exist. it's a thing, right. So you'll only factor that in, I'm assuming once it's an actual product that's- Yeah, should I sold? factor in, uh, you know, the Roadster revenue now too, that I've been waiting for <laughs> for five years? I mean, Elon even said it. Two he's weeks. Like, he's like, full self-driving is coming this year. Yeah. I swear. <laughs> and, and he laughed because it's just, he says it every year. But, right. the, you know, once again, and I, this is like one of my favorite new quotes of mine, which is like, optimism isn't a lie. You know, optimism isn't a lie. It's a miscalculation. It's different. I'm the same way. Like, I always think like, this is what I, I think we should do. If we come up short, which is most of the time, that's normal because I think big, you know, and it's, I would rather have a guy who thinks real big and comes up short than the people who think small and doesn't do anything, you know? 
I, we got that with Tim Cook, right? He's real right. good at making chips, but new products, nothing. Right. Well, it's almost always hard to hit goals. But well, it should be. You know, it's always hard to hit goals. So just set the goal bigger. And then you would have hit the, you know, like, because people will always almost hit the goal. It's, a, it's almost like a mental thing. You're like, oh, it's really close. Or no, maybe so I right. did hit the goal. Okay, but if you had set the goal to twice as much as what you would have done, you probably would have done, more, you know, twice as much. You know, so by saying two weeks or by saying this year, I, I, I completely agree with you. Well, yeah, I was going to say that. Like, let's say you're going to try to run a marathon, right? Like, right. that's a huge goal. If you're like, my goal is to run a marathon. Most people look at you and go, that's fun. You know, good luck with that. And then people do it. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. But if you look at the people who actually run marathons, it's a really methodical process of training for a marathon for a long period of time. And basically anybody can run a marathon if you train for it correctly. Right. And if you actually go to the marathon in LA, it's like 25,000 people running or walking it. Most of them are unfit. It's unbelievable. Like, I'm in way better shape and I can't even come close to running a marathon. So it's all mental what you set as your goals. And as a manager of people for my entire career, you know, we used to laugh at the people. Some people set goals that are so high they're unachievable just to try to impress people. And then it's just like you're a fool, you know? And then some people set their goals exactly what they know they can achieve because they want to achieve them and meet their goals. Okay. But big thinkers are somewhere in the middle there. They're not just saying it so their manager is happy. They actually believe it, but it should be out of reach a little bit. Maybe not Mars, but how about the moon, you know? And, and, and so what you're saying is very true. Like in the way our brains and our bodies work is our brain limits us from achieving many things. And I train this a lot with people in my company and, and I, I try to apply it myself. Like there's just this mechanism it's like, oh, that's too risky. You know, oh, you don't want to do that. It's like your comfort zone box. It's your risk box. And that's a survival instinct from mm -hmm. like when we were apes or whatever, where right. it was like, oh, you know, we don't want to get eaten by the woolly mammoth. You know, Don't a, go in the cave. Yeah, bad idea, bad cave. <laughs> it might be good shelter, but there might be a saber-tooth well, tiger in there. That. that. <laughs> the consequences were big if you failed on those yeah, days. There was, Modern society's just... consequences are much smaller. That's for yeah. sure. You're not, you can't go bankrupt when you're in the maws of a saber-tooth tiger. Right. And like, and I think that's part of it. There's financial risk and there's physical risk. And you think about like a fireman, like there was a fire the other day and the fire people were going and I just find these people to be amazing because the risk is so high and they do it for like, like nothing, you know, like it's some like industrial fire for some warehouse. I'd be like, screw that. Let it burn to the ground. They'll build a new one. It's profitable. Yeah. You know, firemen run in, they're trying to save some old building. I'm like, these guys are taking huge risk. You know, that's physical risk, you know? And then there's financial risk, which is the guy who invested in the building the building burns down. He has insurance. He's like, ah, that sucks, but I got insurance. And so it's like, why limit yourself in your career investing, you know, like I'm going to buy Procter and Gamble and Exxon because that's what's doing well this year. You know, it's like my funds getting its butt kicked like the first half of the year. Well, we don't own oil, right? We don't own Procter and Gamble. We own discretionary technology and climate, right? You know, it's like the three things that get hammered, of course, right after I start a fund, but that's good news if you're a buyer, right? So I've been buying my fund all the way down now coming back up. But I'm thinking about next year and I'm going, boy, well, inflation's coming down. People discretionary comes back. Technology comes back. Valuations come back. We're going to kick butt. 
So like, if you're not willing to take financial risk and invest for growth, you're never going to make a lot of money because if you're holding Exxon and Procter and Gamble next year, you're going to go back to making 2% a year. And that's actually Exxon's return over the last five years is zero. Now you compare it to Tesla, one of the highest risk stocks in the world, right? Or Microsoft or whatever. And you just can't compare them. They've outperformed by enormous amounts. So these are outlier years. This is a total outlier year to have spike inflation of 8%. When does that happen? So we're going to go back to 2%. Don't worry. We're an old society with lots of old people. Growth will slow dramatically as it will because we need low rates to keep the economy going. And so the Fed's actions are working. Now, speaking of risk, I mean, Jesse and I love disruptive companies. We have a whole channel about disruptive investing. What are some disruptive companies that you're excited about? Besides Tesla, I assume. I mean, yeah, well, yep, we could talk about Tesla all day. And I, <laughs> I know, love I know. To, well, because they're disrupting like five areas. So you can be know, like, oh, course. we've got robots, we've got full self-driving autonomy. So let's talk about autonomy real quickly. Yeah. Autonomy is the second area that I'm super focused on because like good investing is not just about making video games, which is entertainment, which is great. And I invest in entertainment and we all need entertainment. It's five, 10% of our time though. Good technology solves real world problems like dying. And in LA every day, people die driving and horrible deaths. Another horrible accident happened this weekend. Horrible and totally preventable, okay? Humans are bad drivers. Humans have more distractions in a car than you can imagine. And there's no question that full self-driving or version or any level of safety technology that's added to cars using these types of technology will dramatically improve our lives. Now, I have two little kids and my only fear, I'm not worried about school shootings and all that BS that the media sends us. I'm worried about cars. I'm worried about a parking lot and a guy backing into my kid. And sure enough, yesterday we're in the parking lot. This guy backs into some other guy's car. I say, see kids, never walk behind cars in the parking lot because people don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. I literally, that is my biggest fear, you know? Like I'll leave my kids in the house by themselves. They're eight and 10. What are they going to do? Roblox themselves to death? No, <laughs> no. But in a parking lot or walking down the street, like I'm more scared of them riding their bike down the street, you know? Yeah. And, and so autonomy is a great goal, not just because it's great to drive and not have to worry about it because it will save thousands of lives. So yeah. full self-driving is only one solution. That's the way I look at it. And Tesla will succeed in it. But I also look at the LiDAR-based systems and the Google-based systems and the Apple-based systems and the GM-based systems and the Chinese-based systems. And I go, one of these guys is going to get it right too. And I do think there's a case for LiDAR, and I do think that Elon may or may not be right about it. I met Austin Russell at Luminar, and I spent a whole afternoon with him. And see, when I call people and they are like, hey, Ross, come on over, ask me anything, I'll show you everything. Like, those are the kind of people I want to invest in. When I call up companies and they're like, who the are you? I don't have time for you. And I'm like, well, I'm the most visible investor in the world. If you want to be on YouTube or, you know, or me say anything good about you, like let me in the door. But there's always a reason and it has nothing to do with me. It's like, they don't want to hear my questions. So it was like Nicola. So Trevor reached out to me early on because he was trying to recruit Tesla people to be Nicola people. I said, Trevor, I'd love to come out and meet you. Love trucks. Love to see you build an EV truck because I support all EV companies, including Ford. If they want to make trucks, I'm all for it. Kind of fall in love with that lightning, to be honest. Yeah, we're getting one in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. dude, it's sweet. I was with one this weekend and a, and a Rivian. And uh, boy, for half the price, Ford is doing a great job. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I'm excited. And the power delivery, too. In terms I mean, of like, I can't uh, even say that I'm looking at Ford stock because people start yelling at me. <laughs> you, know, like, you can't buy Ford. I go five times earnings, great EVs. I like Jim Farley. 
Yeah, they got dealers. Yeah, they got debt. Yeah, they got all these problems. All right, they talked me out of it again. Good, because I was going to try and talk you out of it, too. (laughs) I come in, I go, I'm buying Rivian, talk me out of it, and then they talk me out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a little little pricey, yeah. Yeah, and they got to make these trucks in scale. (laughs) They got to make profit Uh, on the truck. Yeah, so so (laughs) Luminar is an interesting company. It's rallying today. You know, I like... BYD, I think that they are doing some really interesting things in China. I, I think China is all in on EVs and autonomy and America should be taking note of this and working very rapidly to get our technologies up with companies like Luminar. I think we're going to see a mass adoption of these technologies over the next five years. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in LiDAR-based systems, uh, the software-based systems, the chip-based systems. Like now you got NVIDIA down. I mean, who sells this stock? Only dumb people sell NVIDIA. This is one of the best, most profitable companies I have ever owned. I started with NVIDIA when it was just a little graphics card company. I met them at E3 like years and years and years ago when it was like graphics cards. Wow. And the guy from NVIDIA booth was like, let me show you. Once again, he took me in, showed me everything. And then I saw some presentation that they did for CES. This was like five years ago. And I was like, autonomy, chips, I'm in. And I was, I, we were in NVIDIA. It's been one of our best performing investments forever. So this pullback, it's, it's added a couple times, 50% pullbacks. It is a huge opportunity. So you've got chip-based system. We just added on semiconductor as well that has moved into this area, sensors, power systems. So cars are just going to be these massive chip and like technology pieces. Because what I learned at Tesla is building a car, anybody can do it. We've been doing it for 120 years. What we're building are mobile technology pieces and they need lots of things like chips. So, you know, great opportunity right now with the pullback in chips. I mean, just insane because this is part of building autonomy. So when you think about technologies that have the most utility to society, have tons of profitability, super, super innovative and intelligent companies and people working on it, that's where we want to invest. And so I spend a lot of time in those areas also because they're super fun and interesting to learn about. And that's part of my process is I like learning. Um, And so I've been learning a lot. And, you know, when you sit around with a guy like Austin, who's in his twenties and he's a genius, you know, he's super smart. And it was just really, really illuminating to, to spend an afternoon with the guy and know who he is. And boy, he's like a little Elon, you know, super motivated. He's all in on his own stock. He's all in. And he's 29. I think think that's a huge advantage that you have over most uh, analysts is that you go and meet these people and talk to them. And like that gives you a completely different feeling for a company when you get to meet the leadership. Um, We feel that when we get to talk to CEOs and founders as well. It's, It's just a different. It's not the same as reading their financial reports. Yeah. You know, all those people reading financial reports. (laughs) <laughs> Silly. Yeah, exactly. You invest no, it's, on it's the who, not how. Yeah. You don't invest in the Lakers because you're investing in LeBron. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like LeBron, the Lakers aren't a good investment. You can say, oh, I love the Lakers. They've been great forever. But look at the difference between Balmer and Satya Nadella. Never owned Microsoft under Balmer. He was a goof. Mm-hmm. Developers, 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 developers. <laughs> Nadella takes over. This guy is the most competent CEO I think I've ever seen. He's unbelievably good. That's what matters. Now, I haven't spent time with him, but I have actually my relatives work at Microsoft. So it's so one of my secrets, it's not a secret, 
is I talk to lots of people, people who work at the company, the CEOs, but even more so if I can hang out with these people, get to know them, that's even better. Like, are they married? Are they nice? Are they fun? You know, are they really just shady people? And I grew up in LA, so I have this thing where if you're shady, it just like, I can tell, you know, mm -hmm. it's like when you grow up in LA in the entertainment area of the world, everybody's shady. So I'm pretty questioning when people start telling me stuff, you know, I'll meet these people. So for example, Alec Gores is a, is a friend of mine now, and he is the guy behind Luminar and he's the guy behind Polestar. And like, he's once again, he's like, come over to my house. I'll ask me any question here, here, meet all the executives. I've met everybody from the CEO of, of Volvo to the CEO of Polestar. I've gone through their strategy. I've met every division head. I've, I literally, that's how much time I put into this stuff. And you can look at the financials all you want. They have no financials, it's a brand new company. But I know their whole strategy and their whole team and they're phenomenal. And that's what I spend my time doing. And so I own teams. That's the way I look at it. And like my team at Apple and Tim Cook, yeah, they're not the most exciting team, but they deliver. And then you got Tesla and these guys are like just amazing. You know, I love the team at Tesla. I love going to Tesla. It's like, it, it turns me into like a different person spending a day at a factory at Tesla. Like you go to Austin, you'll be so motivated by the time you leave because the team there is so inspirational. The vibe is so awesome, you know? And if you don't go, you don't understand. And if you've never run a business, how do you analyze a business? See, isn't it yeah. weird that analysts have never run a business before? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or that they're so siloed that they're in like, I'm an auto analyst right. and I'm analyzing Tesla. Like, I'm an what? auto analyst. <laughs> you don't know anything about technology because you no. literally study companies that are bad at technology. Right. right. <laughs> well, it's like at, in college, you know, you have the professors who were in the field that they're teaching and, and those that weren't. And you're just like, oh, I, I can learn so much better from this guy who like spent 20 years working at DuPont, you know? Well, right? yes and no. I don't want to discount academics because I work with academics too, sure. in the sense of like, I, I'm on the board of the uh, UCLA uh, uh, Anderson School uh, Economics Forecast. And they put me on because I'm the most un, you know, like economists they have, you know, and they wanted that, you know, because they're like the straight up academic economists. But where I think a lot of the academics fail is in understanding people. And that's where investing is really about because when things get tough at Netflix, the reason I bought the stock is I know Reed Hastings and Ted Sandros are gonna make it work. Those guys are just amazing. They're the best team in Hollywood, by far. Everybody wants to work with them for a reason, okay? So when things got bad at Netflix, goes down to 175, I'm a buyer because they'll fix whatever it needs to be done. They'll fix it. So there's the financials behind, is a streaming business a good business? In the academic side of like, is this a growing business in the valuations? And then there's the, I'm investing with people because if I buy Luminar, which I haven't yet, they don't have earnings yet and they won't for a little bit of time. So they have to deliver, but it's a eight, $9 stock too. So if it, it could go to 80, if they deliver. So Tesla, unfortunately at you know $800, this is going to 8,000. So if you want to make a lot of money, you got to find 
newer companies like Arkimoto at $3. Well, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. Actually, they're on my to-do list to talk to you about. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Arkimoto. I just went out to Oregon and, and got to see everything probably like you do. And I just came back super pumped. Um, and I think they're really cheap right now. I just, I can't imagine that they're at what, $122 million market cap company. You like what you saw at the factory? I liked what I saw, you know, coming down the pike. And I like the fact that their ramp is a much bigger uh, factory and so forth. So, I mean, I just feel like a company like that, it's doing something completely different in the EV space. It's this, you know, oddball vehicles, right? That don't, you know, three-wheeled vehicles, but it, it has a lot of reservations. A lot of people are excited about them. Um, and so I feel like there's going to be, and there's a lot of demand in the rental market and right. so forth. And so, yeah, what are your thoughts about a company like Arkimoto at $3? So, you know, we own it. It is in my fund as well. And, and I own it personally. And and the reason being, a lot of people get caught up on things that they're not used to seeing because they don't know what the future is going to look like. So they are very comfortable with the way the past looks like. If anybody tells me a Prius is a good looking car, anybody tells me a Chevy Bolt is a good looking car, there's a lot of ugly cars on the road right now. Now you yep. can tell me your version of what's pretty or ugly, okay? Fashion has lots of brands. There's gonna be lots of different electric vehicles. But the biggest issue that prevents people from getting an electric vehicle is price. A Tesla is 60, $70,000. It's 60 or 70,000. There's no cheap electric vehicle. A Polestar is 60,000. The Ford Lightning is 60,000, 80,000. You can't get a Mach-E 50, 60,000. For a lot of people, that's about half the car market can't afford it. Those are the people who need EVs the most because they're the most affected by inflation. So the lower your income, the more inflation hurts you. So the more an EV would help you. And what I keep telling people is if you could buy an EV for $20,000 that actually worked, like got a lot of mileage, like Arkimoto gets 100 miles, okay? It's not some Prius with 20 miles of charge. And the Arkimoto goes, it's 60, 80 miles per hour. I took it on the freeway. It's scary. Like, I'm like, dude, this thing calls, you know? Yep. But if I'm an Uber driver, I'm working at Uber Eats, why would you not have an electric vehicle? So military bases, for example, spend a fortune on gas and servicing these crappy little vehicles they drive around the base. This is like just that alone. They could sell tons of vehicles. So I think between rentals, because when you go to Hawaii, they're opening up a place in Waikiki right now. You go to Hawaii, you rent the worst gas guzzling cars and you pollute one of the most beautiful places that's most affected by climate change. Hawaii has been pounded by climate. And I love it there. It's one of my second places I live for, I go once a year and I love it. But boy, I, I go to the North Shore of Kauai and I've been in a hurricane, the only hurricane I've ever been in. And thank God it kind of missed. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Like trees getting like ripped out of the ground. You know, I was like, I'm from California. We don't have that. Earthquakes are like fun compared to a hurricane, you know? <laughs> So Arkimoto has a great future if they can scale. It's the same thing I say about every EV company, Rivian, Polestar, Polestar scaling pretty well. But if you can scale, you will succeed. So people will get over these three-wheel vehicles when they say, oh my God, I can buy it for 20,000, never not pay for gas. And my, now I'm paying 200, 300 bucks a month to drive around total. Then you throw autonomy into these things too, boy. We, so we just got a Rivian and it turns a lot of heads. And then we were thinking we're on high up on the list, like number 20 to get the Cybertruck. So we were thinking that's going to turn a lot of heads. Uh, what is your thought on when Cybertruck hits hopefully next year? That will be the most talked about and impactful vehicle that they've launched. You think just Tesla or any vehicle ever? Ever, ever. 
It's yeah. going to be like War of the Worlds, like when they re- did it on the radio. No, the only one that might be similar is when the Hummer came out. Everybody was talking about it. It was like a big deal because it was sure. so outrageous, but it was never really a scalable vehicle and it was like a nightmare. But like everybody was like Hummer, Hummer, and then Schwarzenegger got one. You know, it was like <laughs> people bought Hummers, you know, it was like right. dumb. But they couldn't go zero to 60 in the <laughs> speed that the Cybertruck's going to do. I think with the Cybertruck, once again, as we talk about the way the future will look versus what people are comfortable with with the past. Many people say the Cybertruck is the ugliest thing they've ever seen. People said that about Warhol originally too. This guy's all whacked out stone painting weird Marilyn Monroe's, you know? It's like actually it's the most beautiful Marilyn Monroe I've ever seen, you know? And they're like, you're high, you know? I was like, maybe true, but this is amazing, you know? And now it's a $75 million painting, right? So the future, as I said earlier, will not look like the past. And the people who define what the future will look like will always be attacked because wagon trains were freaking awesome and trains were a nightmare. Trains going through your town, they're putting the tracks, all these greedy rail barons. But boy, it was a lot easier to get west and a lot safer. You know, I talk about the transition away from horses because I love horses and and I'm still depressed about that horses you know, don't have the same utility that they had because I love the animal. And, and if you think it was the first renewable transportation, they feed off hay and they poop it out in a manure. It's like super efficient and they did everything for you, you know? So between horses and cows, boy, there would be no America, right? But then the rails come around, gas comes around. And now they're just sitting outside in a little pony rides and stuff, you know, and it's sad, but that's what happens to all these vehicles in the future. So the cyber trucks, the future, that's what the future is going to look like. If you want the past, you buy the Ford lightning, the Ford lightning is the past and it's electric, the Rivian somewhere in the middle. So there's a market for everybody. There's, there will be plenty of people to buy these trucks. Most of America actually drives trucks. So when you actually go out of LA, I was just driving to work and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm literally surrounded by Teslas now. It's so cool. Like Teslas are cutting me off now. I'm like, don't you know who I am? You're cutting off the Tesla guy with the Tesla. Come on, Tesla owner. We used to let each other in. Yeah. Now it's like a Tesla war in the morning. Yeah. Although I'm thrilled to see all the new Model Ys because they're like everywhere here right now. New ones too, you know. Uh, California adoption of EVs is soaring, you know, because nobody wants to pay $6 for gas. Now we're down to five, I think, or something. Do you think Elon's right that the Model Y could be the best selling car in the world maybe in a year or so? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's so practical. Like we just took it on a road trip up to the uh, takeover. I love it. I love road tripping and thing. I can put my whole house in this thing because the front and the back, there's no engine and and the storage. And I take my kids and we take all this junk, you know, and, and we don't fly anymore because it's just easier to drive in most cases other than to Hawaii. Right. And so like we just road trip to so many places. I'm going to San Diego for my brother's wedding this weekend. I can't wait to road trip because it's just so awesome in a Tesla. I go on autopilot. I'm cruising at, you know, 75 miles per hour, smooth as can be. You charge up the hotel. It's free. It doesn't cost me anything. So the Cybertruck will be incredibly impactful. I fear the difficulty because I know it will be very difficult to make this thing and it will be another one of these Model X situations. So I hope that Elon, when he says the timeline is a year from now, he's factored that in because we've had many an email where I said, Elon needs to take what his timelines are and double them when he says it to the public. Hmm. So I think that's what they've been doing ever since we started these conversations about two years ago. And once in a while, I have to send them a reminder email to double the projections so that Wall Street doesn't hammer them all the Mm -hmm. time. 
And that's what he's been doing. So I don't know if he's kind of, he's kind of figured out what I call the Tim Cook, where you always under promise, you just under promise, you know, and you always beat, you always beat. So I think, uh, I hope he's using the same thing by saying in the middle of next year, because I think they're trying to get the Cybertruck going right now. But I think pressing this, this thing in one piece with the super metal, no chance it'll be easy. Now, you were mentioning road tripping, and so you must use superchargers a lot. Yeah. Do you think that um, other, these other EV brands are going to run into trouble with fast charging, or do you think that this is something that's going to revolutionize in the next couple of years? Because we just have not had that great experience with it every time we've tried to use it with non-Tesla vehicles. It's a nightmare. I, I, in fact, I... People trying to get me to buy like charging companies and stuff. And I go, these companies suck. I would rather buy the company that services the charging companies okay? <laughs> because the service is constant right. because they, if they even get called, right, right. It's like the one in our parking lot, uh -huh. it's a charge point. It's been broken, but yeah. it's broken. So they can't charge you. Right. So people just charge up all day for free. Like, <laughs> and it's like, they, so then they like broke off part of the handle. So people wouldn't use it and people just fixed it. And like, <laughs> That's the demand for charging, right? Right. But I'm like, how hard is it? You put like 10 chargers in and you make a dollar an hour or whatever they make. And it's like, you turn it on and off. Like this should be the easiest business in the world, but it's not. So like Tesla, when they build a charging station, invests a lot more money than Blink or all these other companies because it's part of a bigger ecosystem. It's like Apple. So Apple can lose money in certain areas of their business because they know the app store is going to rake in like 90% margin. So there's other areas of their business that might not be as profitable, but it's worth it to get people in the phone. You know what I mean? Because they make money on other places. So Tesla's long-term vision always revolved around nobody's going to buy an EV if it's a pain to charge. But it was more than that in that they realized not only was it a way to get adopters, but it was a moat. And that's yeah, where the charging thing, you know, uh, what do they call it? The plug in is different for Tesla than other cars because the other car companies. So there was this moment a few years back where they said, Tesla said, why don't you all use our standard? And they are like, F you, Tesla, we're going to do our own thing. We don't want your charging. So they use a different standard. Now in Europe, I think the Tesla cars come with two holes so you can use the different standard, but not in the United States, nor do people in the United States have access to Tesla chargers with all other cars. Mm -hmm. That will change eventually because Tesla will make a fortune doing that. So now with the way the climate bill is, there's a lot of incentive for Tesla to do batteries and, and charging and yep. open that up to the public. So what I actually think is that Tesla will make a fortune selling adapters for other companies. And essentially these other charging infrastructures will exist, but they'll never be that good. You know, just like if you use an Android phone, it will never be as easy as using an Apple. Because I mean, you're right. It's yeah. the better, you know, Tesla's charger is the better one. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. We pulled up, you don't have to do anything. You just plug in your right? car. Yeah, I have to get out of my car. I've been driving for two hours. It's traffic. I, I gotta eat my kid, you know, I plug it in. I go get a burger. It's done before I even finish. It's 15 minutes to charge, 20 minutes to charge, you yeah. know? 
And boom, we're off to LA, full tank of gas, cost me what, $4? I just wanted to ask you about companies that are upstream or downstream in the EV environment. So like we love uh, certain mining companies like Nouveau Monde, uh, Energy X, because we know that graphite and lithium are gonna be things that are needed. Are those things that you have your clients in as well? Or is it, it you know, what do you think about those? No, I'm not an expert in mining. So that's part of my problem. And I generally don't like mining. It is not a clean business. There's a lot of exploitation in mining. I tend to, you know, I, I don't use the term ESG anymore because that means bullshit. But um, ethically speaking, as an investor, I, I want to feel good about what I'm doing. And so it's like, you know, some graphite mine in the deeper reaches of the Congo where, you know, 14-year-old kids are digging out graphite with their fingers isn't really the most attractive thing to me. But that said, there's many great producers and I'm learning more and more. One of which was MP uh, here in California. And uh, this guy who runs MP, this guy, Jim, he's really sharp guy. And I said, I don't want anything to do with mines for all these reasons. He says, listen, we try, it's here in California. So you can imagine all the rules we have to follow. It's like on the border of Nevada and California. It's like you're on the wrong side of the border. Um, but it's the largest rare earth mine in North America. It's become crucially important for the manufacturing of uh, EV uh, motors. And they're building some, you know, facilities to process lith uh, rare earths as well as make these chemicals that are needed for this process. Um, and, and I love this business. We just recently invested in uh, uh, SQM, which is a Chilean lithium and chemicals miner. They also have exposure to uh, nitrates and things in the uh, fertilizer business, which is also a good business. What we think is this entire commodity food chain is going to be incredibly profitable over time. So from an investment perspective, my goal is to be like the clean energy Rockefeller. You know, so it starts with the rocks and it ends with recycling. Ideally, eventually having a recycling company like Redwood Materials or something. You know, if Redwood ever goes public, that would be a great company. So recycling will be a great business in seven years, let's say. And so like we we are like like every little piece. Like I haven't found a charging company I like because I think Tesla is the best exposure for charging. You know, I like uh, SQM, but I also like Almarie. I like Livent. I, I mean, there's a lot of good companies. It's just, I'm not the best analyst of these companies, to be honest. Like, I don't have any expertise in mining. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. You guys probably know more about these opportunities than I do, you know, in the sense of I'm more focused on technology than uh, the mining part of it, because that's what I'm better at. Let me ask you, do you think the average person watching today can handle their own finances and investments, or do you think they should seriously yeah. consider someone like you and, and why? Well, obviously I'm the most biased person to ask that question because <laughs> I have a firm and certainly I do recommend people use a financial advisor like myself. And, and it's not because people can't do it themselves. It's actually not that at all. In fact, I think investing is really easy. Like we don't do anything special here. We invest in the best companies in the world and we convince you not to sell them when the market goes down. That's the hardest part of my job. Yeah. It's called yeah. behavioral wow. science. Yep. So this isn't about investing. I hate to tell you, anybody here can buy Microsoft app. You can buy my fund. You can buy the same stocks in my fund. That's not the hard part. The hard part was the last six months. The hard part was not selling at the bottom in June. Yep. And people did. And we get call after call after call. And trust me, we have emotions too. So not only got I gotta keep my emotions positive, I gotta keep my team's emotions positive, and I gotta keep my 11,000 clients in the game. Because you gotta stay in the game to win the game. And the hard part of the game is staying in the game, not the game itself. The game itself's easy. 
Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, well, Tesla. Come on, guys. You, occasionally, I find these companies and I have great insights and great information that you might not have because of my connections and this and that. And I might find some great opportunities and maximize those things that you can't. But I wouldn't bet on that as like, you can't do it because you don't have that. No, if you buy the SPY, you know, the S&P, and you invest your money over time, you will be a multimillionaire. Just gotta wait 20, 30 years, but you will. That's what we teach at my firm. So if you need help doing it. Now, what really the financial advisor helps you with, taxes, for example. Is your money in an IRA? Do you have a Roth IRA? Do you know the difference? Are you using your 401k correctly? Are you getting the matching that you should be getting? Do you even know what that is? Many of our clients now have RSUs and ISOs and, and stock options are really complicated for a lot of employees. But if you don't get those, you're never going to have a lot of upside. So a lot of employees will just call us because they're like, can you just look at this? Like we have no idea what we should do. You know, it's like, and I like buy, you work here, buy these things. You know, it's like, so there's a lot of advice that if you want to have wealth, like we can just help you with like tax questions. Like we started an accountant firm at my firm because we got so many clients complaining about how dumb their accountants were. And we were like, we should just do this. And we found an accountant and it turned out he was really dumb. So I fired him. And then, you know, I, and then fortunately I found another one and this guy turned out to be great. And it's like, we hired the exact thing we didn't want to hire. And, and, and now I found this great team. And now we're up to four accountants at my firm and they work nonstop because there's that much need for tax questions and help. But it's it sucks to overpay taxes because you make a mistake or you're not sure. ISOs, you know, this and that. That's where the financial advisor can really help you. When it comes to investing, it's behavioral mostly. So many of our clients just needs reassurance in these times, times like now. And boy, in June, I was like getting anxiety. It sucked. It's the worst market in 50 years. And I won't own oil. And I know, it, you know, it was like the easiest money. And I'm like, I can't push it, you know? And it's like, <laughs> it's all underperform. I'll take the heat. The people on the internet bash me. I'm an idiot now, you know? But it comes, you know, it, it, it writes itself. So, so behavioral investing is the hardest part. If you're young, you have the most incentive to stay invested and be aggressive. And as you get older, you, not, you have to have a, a better balance. And so I think if you have the confidence um, and, and you put the time in, you definitely don't need a financial advisor. But I think as you get older or as your wealth grows, like we get a lot of clients who are doing them themselves until they have a few million. And then they're like, you know, I'm now I'm nervous. You know, it's like <laughs> SPY doesn't seem so safe now. You know, I got 3 million in SPY. And then we start talking about diversification and tax planning and tax loss harvesting and things like that. So I think we as a firm provide a lot of value to our clients and that's why you should use us. And it's not per se just stock picking. That's a small part of what we do. It's like why I have a lawyer, why I have a doctor. I'm perfect fine health, but if something's wrong with me, the internet is a really bad place to get medical advice, you know? So maybe you don't need us all the time, you know, and we, we can charge different fees depending on how much you use us, you know, and things like that. When you get old, you don't get another chance. That's the only problem with finance. And the one thing I tell people that is true is that 99% of people don't have a million dollars, which means they'll never retire. So if 99% of people fail at this, I know you might think you can do it yourself and that may be true, but 99% of people are failing. Why not get help?
Well, to that point, if people want to check you out, where should they go? GerberKawasaki.com. Um, you can just Google Ross Gerber. You can Google our company. You can find us on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. We're a very visible firm. Everything we do is transparent. You know, we put it all out there for you. There's no secrets. Uh, we have 11,000 clients. We work very, very hard for our clients. That's the difference, I think, that I can tell you that's maybe different than other firms or what you would get if you paid us is that we work very, very hard to do the best that we can for our clients. And so it's not like we can't always get the outcomes that we want. Sometimes the market goes down, but we work very, very hard at getting the outcomes that for our clients. And we have over time for a long period of time. Ross, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you be for being who you are. You're not going to invest <laughs> in oil. You know what you believe in. I love it because you could go where the money is sometimes, but you have your convictions and that is so rare these days. So thank you for being out there for us. I just love getting your positivity all the time from you. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me too. It's great show. Super fascinating talking to Ross. I love talking to him. He's so uh, just just pumps me up. There's all sorts of company advice that he's talking mm. about and investing advice and where to emotionally put your mind. Yeah. It just it was really fascinating. Um, I love that he gave us the time to do that. So thank you so much for being a part of our community. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the like button. And if you uh, hit the bell notification, you'll be sure to get all the notifications for all the upcoming episodes. So make sure you do that. We'll see you guys next week. Now you know.